you know, as you guys who are here, you know, I, I bared my soul a little bit. And, um, and after the service, I think Kim was overwhelmed with the compassion and the love everybody was showing and, like, offers of help. She's like, what have you said? You've got to say more of that, you know? Like, <laughs> but, uh, but we have been grateful for everybody's, just your prayers and your support and your compassion and, and your love that you've demonstrated to us even in this past week, but, but more than that, all the time. And I want to encourage you, I mean, that's what I was even talking about last last Sunday, that, uh, you know, that, that's, that's who we are as a family, to, that, w- that we share one another's burdens, and we share one another's joys, right, and, our, and we share one another's pain and struggles, and, and I want to tr- just, I'm, I'm encouraged by experiencing that firsthand, and I want to just encourage you guys to continue doing more of that in each other's lives as well, um, that we would continue to make a hobby out of showing grace to everybody in our lives. Um, we're going to continue looking at First Peter um, for those of you guys who have been here for most of the messages, you've noticed there's been a few themes that have been cropping up over and over again that Peter's been revisiting over and over again in the book of First Peter. Uh, one of those is the fact that, that because of Jesus and his resurrection, we now have a living hope. He talks about life, that Christ has come to give us life, and, and we, have th- we have this living hope now. That's one of the themes that he continually comes back to. Uh, another theme is the, uh, the, the, the presence of suffering in our lives. That, uh, you know, how do we, as we follow Jesus, as we trust him, what does that mean for how we respond to suffering and trials and struggles in our lives? And, and particularly, he, he focuses on those who are potentially facing persecution. But, but for all of us, in, in all of the trials that we face, you know, how do we respond to those things? And the third thing that, that continually kind of comes up, hopefully you've noticed, is that uh, he, he's constantly reminding the people, the church, that, uh, that we have an opportunity in the way that we live our lives to impact the people around us and to show them more of who God is, to show them more of his glory and to, to, to be God's instruments in drawing those people closer to him. So those are three themes that have been popping up over and over again. And all of those three themes kind of come together in these verses that we're going to look at this morning. So listen to God's word as I read, um, I'm going to look at, uh, read from 1 Peter 3. I'm going to start in verse 12 and finish in verse 18. Verse 12 is the last verse we read last week, um, but it just helps a little bit with the context. Verse 12 says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Let's pray together. Father, um, we are grateful that you have spoken, that in your word we have um, your truth and your thoughts and, and, and words that represent your heart toward us. Father, we pray that you would help us now, that you would open our eyes, that your spirit would work 
because we need you to show us what you want us to see here. We cannot do it in our own strength, just by our own sure w- sheer willpower and attention. We need you to open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to what you want to say. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. What are your nightmares about? What are your nightmares about? Do you, you guys ever find that there are kind of recurring themes to your nightmares every that you go, so those of you guys who have nightmares, I don't know how you guys how often you guys have nightmares. I don't have them a lot, but I have nightmares and, and I do have some recurring themes to those nightmares. One of those nightmares um, is revolves around being unprepared. I am terrified of being unprepared and, and, it, and it shows up over and over again in my nightmares. Not a, a few years ago, I remember having a nightmare when I, I showed up to church and the parking lot was already mostly full and people were streaming in the building, so I'm like late as it is. And, and I get into the, the, the sanctuary and I realize, for some reason, I don't know why, but instead of having everybody sit in chairs, we decided to have everybody sit in these long tables, but the tables weren't set up yet. So immediately, I have to like go next door. There, there's, a, a, there's like a storage facility next door to the church building and I'm, I'm running back and forth carrying these chairs, th- these uh, tables, back and forth to set up so that everybody can sit at these tables. And then I'm supposed to be leading worship, and I get up there, and nobody's got the music on the worship team. Nobody has their music, so I'm then like frantically printing stuff out, and the service was supposed to have already started. And so we finally get the stuff printed out, and, and it's like 10, 15 minutes after the service is supposed to start. And, and then I sit down, I get my guitar, and there's no strings on my guitar. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's like one of those dreams where you, you like, it's real. Like, this is like really happening. You, you, and, and so I'm like so stressed out. I'm like... Finally, when I, when I realize the strings aren't there and I, I don't know what I'm going to do and, and everybody's just like waiting, staring at me, I, I like wake up in a cold sweat, you know? It's like, it is the worst. I, I'm terrified of being unprepared. And, uh, you know, you might think it's kind of pitiful, but that's, that's what my nightmares are about. And they're terrifying to me. Um, if only I was this concerned about being prepared to share what I believe with people around me, to, sh- to defend what I believe, to give reasons for the hope that is in me. If only I was this concerned about being prepared to share Jesus with people. Um, I think that for the most part, those of us who are here who, who say that we're Christians would, would, would agree that it's important to talk to, to other people about Jesus or to share our faith with people around us. But I don't think it's something that we all really prepare for you know, there's a lot of things in life that we work hard and practice and prepare at things, but sharing the reasons for our hope that is for the hope that's in us isn't something that we prepare for. Um, but in verse 15, if you were paying attention, Peter says this: "But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you." Now the context here, Peter is talking to the early church in Asia Minor and he's talking to them about potentially, they were going to potentially be facing persecution. They're going to be facing, you know, people who were, who were saying bad things about them, maybe who were torturing them, who were fighting against them. And in that situation, when, when, the, when the pressure is high, when they're facing kind of the worst case scenario situation, they need to be prepared for 
to, to share the reason for what they believe, the reason for why they live the way they live, and, and, and the hope that they have. They need to be prepared for that. And so you might think, well, we, you know, we li- the day that we live in, in America, you know, we really don't really face all that much persecution compared to the persecution that much of the church has faced throughout history, compared to the persecution that a lot of the church faces in other parts of the world right now. We simply do not have it that hard. As we can come together and we can worship and, and nobody gives us a problem about it, right? And so you might be thinking, well, this, does this really apply to me? Do I need to really prepare to, sh- to, to give the reason to defend myself if I'm not really facing that much, per- much persecution or if persecution at all? But in, in verse 14, he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. So he's talking to them in a situation where they may not be facing persecution right then, but they would possibly be, be facing it in the future. In the, in the face of possible persecution in the future, they need to prepare now. They need to prepare now. So that totally applies to us, right? It's, it's very possible. I'm, I'm sure that some of us can think of a time in the future in our country where things are becoming more and more antagonistic towards Christianity in some ways. There may be points in the future where it's hard. It gets increasingly hard to be a Christian, and we need to be prepared to defend what we believe and to give reasons for the hope that is in us. But even more than that, I think um, if, we're, if we prepare for the worst case scenario when the pressure is high, then doesn't that equip us to, to be even more prepared when the pressure is low? Um, and so being prepared for the worst case scenario enables us to be prepared for even life right now, to share what we believe, to share who Jesus is, to share the reason for the hope that's in us. So I think it's important for us to, to think about how can we prepare to share Christ with the people around us, to share what we really believe. And so I, 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 look, I see five things in this passage that he tells us to do to prepare. Okay? The first thing, and I'm going to try to go through these pretty, pretty quickly, but uh, the first of these is, it's, you know, Captain Obvious here. In order to share the reason for the hope that, that is in us, we need to know the reason for the hope that is in us. We need to know the reason for the hope that is in us. He says, you know, he says, we need to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. If we want to give the reason, then we have to know the reason, right? It's pretty obvious. One of the kids that we've had live with us in recent years, um, he would have this one question that he would continually ask us over and over again. He would say, how do you know? How do you know? No matter what we said to him, he would always say, how do you know? Um, He would ask us a question, you know, what time are we eating lunch? We're going to eat in about 15 minutes. How do you know? What do we have for dinner? Chicken, how do you know? Well, it's what's in the oven right now. How do you know? Well, we put it in the oven like half an hour ago. How do you know? You know, just over and over again. He'd be, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know? Finally, you'd just be like, enough! We just know, okay? Just zip it. We need to have an answer to this question, how do you know? It's not enough to just, you know, come to church. It's not enough to just be like, I just come to church because I do. I just say that I'm a Christian because that's what I was brought up, you know, believing, or because other people tell me this, you know. We need to know the reason, the reasons for why we believe that God is real, for why we believe that God and and what he desires for us is relevant for how we live, for, for why we believe that God loves us. We need to have reasons. And the beauty of Christianity is it is a religion where there are real reasons for this. 
I mean, there's some people who are Christians who say, you know, really faith is just about kind of believing um, even though you don't see it. It's just kind of taking a leap in the dark. But I don't think that is true at all. To be a Christian is to base your life on reasons. To base your belief in who God is on reasons. I mean, the, the ultimate reason is that there was a man, a real man who walked the face of this earth 2,000 years ago and who died a real death and who rose from the dead. And there's real reasons to believe that he rose from the dead and that he's alive. We have real reasons to believe that because God is real and Jesus really lived and Jesus died and rose again, that that makes all the difference for how I live my life. We have real reasons and, and we need to know those reasons. We need to know the answers to the questions for each, each and every one of us. We need to know the answer to the question, how do you know? How do you know? If we want to share the reasons for the hope that's in us, we need to know those reasons. And the beauty of Christianity is that those reasons are there. Those reasons are there. God doesn't just ask us to check our minds at the door when we walk into church. And if you're here and you're at a place right now and you're like, I don't really know if I believe in this stuff. If they're, you know, uh, I, I don't know if I, I, I have this hope or if it's worth believing or if, if it's really real. I want to encourage you. Again, God has real reasons. There are real reasons to, to, to realize that, that this stuff changes your life. So we need to know the reason for the hope that is in us. We also need to know the source of our blessing. As Peter writes to the church, he says in verses 13 to 14, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So he's addressing the people's fear of what other people might do to them if they persecute them, right? He's saying, who's really going to hurt you? You know, th there may be people who come against you, maybe people who, who try to discriminate against you or say bad things about you. He says, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. He's addressing the people's fear of what other people might do. A lot of our lives are dictated, are controlled by our fears. And one of our biggest fears I think the, the underlying fear of all of our fears is that we will lose blessing. We will lose happiness in life. We will lose the things that give us blessing in life. We are afraid other people might take blessing away from us. And what Peter says is that no matter what other people do to you, no matter what other people think of you, no matter what other people say about you, ultimately, real blessing comes from somewhere else. Real blessing comes from God, so you don't have to fear them. You don't have to worry about what these people might do to you because ultimately, real, lasting blessing, joy, peace, favor comes from God alone. Comes from God alone. The people around you are not in control of, of how you are able to experience blessing. Only God controls your experience of blessing in your life. And so we need to know that our blessing, our joy, our peace, our satisfaction in life ultimately comes from God and God alone. And that completely impacts our interaction with people around us and, and the way that, that our fears of them 
might dictate how we live or control us. This is something that I've struggled with my whole life. Believing that I need or can get blessing from other people. From their, appu- from their approval or that their judgment can take my blessing, my well-being away. But God's inviting me to trust him. No matter what other people say about me, God's inviting me to trust what he says about me first and foremost and to not worry about what other people say. To not worry about what other people think, to realize that what God thinks is what matters most. What God thinks of me is what's going to give me real peace and real joy. And as I cultivate a mindset that that is focused on getting blessing from God rather than other people, that prepares me to not be afraid of what they might say or how they might reject me or what they might think of me when I share with them the reasons for the hope that is in me. Does that make sense? And so we need to cultivate a heart that that focuses on resting in the blessing that God alone can provide us. Where does the blessing come from? Again, in, in verse 12, the first verse that we read, the last verse that we read from last week, the blessing comes from knowing that God's eyes are on us, that he loves us, that he's pleased with us, that his ears are open to us, not because we are righteous, but because Jesus has won God's attention and his love for us. That is where real blessing comes from. So we need to know the source of our blessing if we're going to be prepared to share our faith, to share the reasons for the hope that's in us. And thirdly, we need to care for the good of our listeners. He says that when we give the reason for our hope, we need to do it with what? With gentleness, in verse 16. We need to do it with gentleness. Why are you gentle with things? Why are we gentle with things? We're gentle with things because we don't want to damage them, right? We don't want to hurt them. We don't want to break them. Just this past week, um, I went with Silas to do some guitar shopping. So I was just thinking about buying a new guitar. So we were looking at, at some guitars. And when you, if you ever shop for guitars, what you do, you, you go to a, a music store and they have the guitars in this separate room where the climate's controlled so they don't go out of tune or it's not bad for them. So you go into this room and the guitars are just like hung all around the walls in the room. And you're allowed to go and take them off the wall and try them out and play them. But the thing is, th- these guitars are like, you know, they range from $200 up to like $2,000, $2,500, $3,000. And so you're like, I don't know if I should take this off the wall. And when you do take it off the wall, you're just like totally aware of every little like possible like bump that it might hit on the way down. And you're just extremely gentle with this guitar because you know what? You know that this guitar doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. You need to be careful that you don't damage it. And so as we prepare, if we want to be prepared to share our, our faith with people, to share Jesus with people, Again, we need to cultivate a mindset that, that is, is gentle with people, that, that's worried, that's concerned about not damaging them, that's concerned for their good, for their well-being. And he says this, do it with gentleness and respect. The word respect, actually, I don't think the word respect is referring to the people. The word respect is actually translating the word that, that you could also translate fear. So it could be translated, yet do it with gentleness and fear. And so why is he saying do with gentleness and fear? I think he's referring to our fear of God. As we interact with people, as we share our faith with people, we need to realize, we need to keep God in mind that the people around us are made by him. They belong to him. And so as we interact with them, we need again to treat them as as if uh, they're precious to God. And 
And that's why we need to be gentle with them. That's why we need to, to care for them and love them. And, and as we give reasons for the hope that's in us, especially if we are under pressure, especially if we are being attacked by people, possibly the, the first instinct for us is to, is to not do it very gently, to not really care about their well-being. And yet we need to continue to see every single person around us as people who are made by God and belong to him. And again, that's how we can prepare, be more prepared to, to share who Jesus really is with the people around us by seeing them as people who are made by him and belong to him. Um, fourthly, we need to behave. We need to make sure our behavior is in line with our words. The next phrase in verse 16, he says this, we need to, to do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What is a conscience. A conscience is something that God has implanted in every single one of us, that no matter whether you are a Christian or not, God has placed in each of us, because we are made in his image, he's placed in each of, each of us an, an, an awareness of, of right and wrong. Unfortunately, our, our sinfulness has kind of warped that a little bit, a lot. But if you're a Christian, you also have the Holy Spirit that works with our conscience, that, that helps show us what is right and what is wrong. That helps show us what, what behavior is in line, that, that what behavior matches up with God's desires and his wants and his wishes for how we live. And so what does it mean to have a good conscience? To have a good conscience is a conscience that isn't working overtime to, 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 to shout at us to say that the way that you're living is not matching up with what you say you believe. Right? I say that I believe that God is loving and yet when I live my life in a way that, that isn't very loving or caring about the people around me, then it, it, it invites my conscience to condemn me. Um, and this is the thing. As we think about sharing Jesus with people around us, one of the biggest things that discredits Christians as they try to share who Jesus is and the hope of who Jesus is with people around them is because they say one thing about who God is and that their lives don't match up, right? They say that God is a God who forgives and yet we have the hardest time forgiving people and we hold on to grudges and we're bitter. You know, we say that God gives us satisfaction and joy and peace and yet we live lives that are riddled with anxiety because we don't trust him enough. We say that God cares about justice and yet we do not stand up for those who are oppressed. We say that God cares about those who are needy and yet we do not, we're not willing to give of our time and sacrifice our things in order to meet the needs of those around us. To have a good conscience is to have a life that reflects what we say we believe about who God is, that reflects the hope that we have, the reality of the goodness of God. So we need to behave in line with our words. We need to look at how we are living and think about how is the way that I am interacting even with my children or my spouse or my coworkers, how does that reflect what I say I really believe? Does it back up what I say I believe? Does it confirm what I say I believe? And lastly, we need to know the significance of suffering. Look at verses 17 and 18. He says, For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Suffering is significant. Suffering is significant. Suffering is something that, as hard as it is to, to accept, is part of God's will. That it's possible that God's will might be that we have to suffer even unjustly, even for doing good. And he gives the example, verse 18. Christ suffered. Christ had to suffer. It was part of God's will. Why did Jesus have to suffer? He suffered for the greater purpose of bringing us to God, to die for us, for our sin, so that we could know forgiveness, so that we could know a relationship with God, so that we can know that God is with us, that he's on our side, that he is mighty to save and that he loves us. Suffering is important. And the thing is, most of us, all of us, let's face it, none of us want to suffer. We all would rather avoid suffering if if we possibly could. We don't like pain. If we could avoid it, we do. We want relief from pain. And yet God says, your pain, your suffering, is, is actually an opportunity that I want to use to show people your hope. That's one thing that I've seen over and over again, and I'm sure you've seen it too. As we've watched one another, there's so many of us in here who are experiencing pain and suffering right now. There's so many of us in here, and as I've watched you guys deal with it, One of the things that that suffering does is it distills life down to what is most important, what is basic, what is real. And it highlights our hope. It highlights, if your hope is real, it highlights the fact that that hope is in fact real for the people around us. It points to the fact that God is enough when that's all we have, right? And so we need to, to, to shift our perspective on suffering, as hard as that is, and realize that, that God may want to use the suffering that I experience to show others that God is real and that my hope is real. God may, he doesn't use it in the same way that he uses Jesus' suffering. Jesus dies for our sin. But he may, in a similar way, want to use our suffering to bring people to God to bring people closer to him, to, see, to help them to see that God is enough. And so we need to shift our perspective. If we want to be prepared to, to, to defend ourselves and, and share the reason for the hope that is in us, we need to shift our perspective, change our perspective on suffering. And we need to, maybe if, if, if we don't embrace suffering, we need to sometimes be willing to lean into our suffering and ra- rather than trying to escape it. I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray that God would end our suffering, certainly, but that we would see that this may be an opportunity that God wants to show others as you respond to the suffering, that God wants to show others how incredibly faithful and good he is. So we need to know the significance of our suffering. All right, um, let me just finish with this. Uh, I know that for a lot of us, like, we, we all acknowledge, if you're a Christian, you acknowledge that it's important to share your faith, to, to be able to be, be ready to, to, to 
share the reasons for the hope that's in you. But I realize that, that for a lot of us, this isn't something that we're all anxious to do. And so you listen to this message and, and you're like, oh yeah, that's true, that's true. And then you're more likely maybe to walk out and just be like, yeah, forget. And to not really think about it, not really try to continue to apply it. But let me just remind you of this, um, point this out. A lot of times there, there are things in life that, that we can practice one thing and get really good at this one thing, and then we find out later that this one thing that we, that we prepare for and we practice and we get good at is actually very useful over here, this other area of life. Let me, let me give you uh, an example from the movies, okay? Back in the 80s, great classic movie, Karate Kid. You guys have seen Karate Kid? It's about uh, Daniel-san. Right, Daniel, he's, he's bullied by these other kids and he finds out the maintenance worker at his apartment complex, Mr. Miyagi, knows karate. So he asks Mr. Miyagi if he can teach him karate. Right? And so Mr. Miyagi says, oh, come to my house, I'll teach you karate. So he shows up. The first day, what does Mr. Miyagi tell Daniel to do? He has to wax his cars, I think, is the first job. No? He has to paint the fence first? Okay, we'll start with that. He has to paint the fence. And so he says, paint the fence, right? Paint the fence. And so he paints the fence. He paints the fence, spends the whole day paint, painting the fence, and then Mr. Maggie's like, good job, go home. He's like, okay. And then he comes back. What's the next thing? Wax the cars, all right? Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. And he has to wax all these cars. Mr. Miyagi has this large collection of cars. And so he waxes all these cars, and his muscles are like, he's dying. He's, he's. And so he, he finishes, he goes home, and then he comes back, and then he has to sand the floor, right? Sand the floor, Sand the floor. He spends the whole day on his hands and he's sanding the floor, sanding the floor. And then he, he, eventually he's fed up. He's like, why am I doing this? I'm done. I asked you to teach me karate. I'm going home. And Mr. Miyagi like stops and he's like, okay, you know, paint the fence. And he's like, uh, you know, he's like, no, paint the fence. And so he's, you know, he does the motion and then he shows him that he's like blocks his, uh, when, whenever Mr. Miyagi like tries to hit him, he blocks the hit, right? And then he blocks the thing with the, with the uh, waxing the car and then sanding the floor, he blocks the, blocks the kick, and he realizes that all of this practice that he's been doing is suddenly incredibly useful, right? Um, let me just point out that all of these things that we need to do to prepare to give reasons for the hope that is in us are actually things that we need to do if we really want to experience life, aren't they? To know the reasons for the hope that is in us, to know the reasons for why God is real, why he is enough to, to know that our blessing can come only from him and nowhere else. That radically transformed the way that we can live our lives, the way that we find peace and satisfaction. As we think about other people being made by God and belonging to him, and it, it enables us to actually love them just in our daily lives as we're more gentle with them. As we think about how our behavior, is our behavior lining up with what we say we believe? as we think about suffering, because every single one of us is facing suffering or is going to face suffering, as we think about how God wants to use it, it radically changes the way that we experience life and enables us to experience life. That we would find our hope in God alone. That is what really is going to prepare us. So let's do that together. Let's, let's, let's ground ourselves in the reasons for the fact that God loves us and that God wants to use us and that God wants us to shine our light that the world might see 
the glories of our King, that we might celebrate his amazing grace. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us this morning. Um, help us to think about uh, preparing, that we would spend our lives preparing, preparing to give the reason for the hope that is in us. Um, and as we do that, that we would recognize that, that it just enables us to experience that hope all the more. That it enables us, as, as we think about preparing to share the hope that is in, in us, that, that enables us to, to experience your amazing grace. We pray that you would help us to do that this morning. And that as we do that, that sharing you with the people around us would become more and more common and prevalent in the way that we live. That others would see your glory and your grace. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.